tuned in to the Community Cats Podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats Podcast. I am your host, Stacey LeBaron. I have been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. And today we're speaking with Audrey Stratton. Audrey has been in the animal welfare field for 19 years, starting her career in animal shelters. After discovering the Jetty Cats, she became heavily involved with TNR and started volunteering with Feral Cat Coalition in San Diego, which is one of the oldest TNR and high-volume spay-neuter organizations in the United States. After volunteering for a few years, she was brought on as a board member, and shortly after, she was hired on as the clinic supervisor, where she has been for the last eight years. Audrey, I'd like to welcome you to the show. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> We're going to have a great conversation today. I am sure we have lots of things to talk about. It's very exciting. First and foremost, though, I have to always ask all of my guests, how did you become passionate about cats? So aside from having a crazy cat family that, you know, we always had cats in the house. I grew up in a funky little beach town in San Diego called Ocean Beach, um, where everybody's cats are roaming the neighborhood. It's a pretty safe area. And I would just invite myself into people's yards to play with their cats. And, you know, I just found cats everywhere I looked. (laughs) (laughs) So you felt like you were sort of a bit of a cat magnet or just a lover of cats and appreciated it, appreciated that safe environment for cats to be who they want to be. Absolutely. Yeah. I just, you know, I loved the community in, in Ocean Beach just really embraces cats and, you know, everybody knows each other's cats. It's pretty wonderful. Nice. And I bet you the same way about kids, too. <laughs> we had a lot of kids growing up in the neighborhoods those days, but, you know, not not as many play outside anymore. I think that's an unfortunate thing for our for our right. kids these days. That, and, that is for sure. So that started when you were, you know, when you were young and, and growing up. And then did you go to school for for animal sheltering services or for being a vet tech or anything? Or did you sort of learn on the job? I definitely learned on the job. I went to half a semester of college and said, this is it for me. (laughs) And um, I started working at one of our local animal shelters just in in the front desk answering phones and, you know, worked my way through to start working with the animals. And I've been in animal welfare ever since. Have you stayed in the San Diego area the whole time or have you experienced work in other parts of the country? I have only ever been in San Diego. I'll probably stay here forever, never leave. <laughs> so what is life or what was life like for a community cat in San Diego 19 years ago? And what is it like today? It's a hard question to answer. <laughs> Back then, there I, I feel like there weren't as many community cats being born out on the streets. There there certainly wasn't as many resources as there are today, but there there weren't as many people taking in so many cats. Today, it's it's been pretty brutal. There's cats on every single block, under every single house. You know, everybody's got that that mama cat, and she's on her twelfth litter of kittens, and you know they haven't really done a whole lot to get them fixed. So the crisis is only getting worse and worse. We, you know, we used to worry about kitten season every year but now it's just dragging on throughout the year and there 
hasn't been a lapse of time where there's just no kittens coming in. So we're still having kittens coming into our spay neuter clinic who are two months, two pounds, and we're TNRing them because there's no space for them in the rescues or the shelters. Um, and, and as we go on every year, it's it's only getting worse and worse. And it's kind of to the point where we don't know that we'll ever get ahead of the game. But at this point, we're just trying to make a difference in the life of every cat that comes into our clinic and give them, you know, a better, healthier life. Um, but, you know, the, the the crisis is just so real out here. It's a real struggle. Do you think that that was caused by uh, shutting down during the pandemic? Or do you think it is due to veterinary and technician shortages? Was there ever a time you felt like the spay neuter was able to make a difference? Or do you feel like it's just inevitable that there's just not enough spay neuter resources in San Diego? If you had your magic wand and you could create an environment where you would reduce the community cat numbers uh, through spay neuter, do you think that would be even possible? I don't think it would be impossible. Certainly not. We have so many resources here in San Diego. We've got several organizations that provide free and low-cost services. There just aren't enough people on the streets trapping cats. So I, I think it would be possible, you know, to dramatically reduce the number of homeless cats out there in San Diego. But we just, we, we really need more people that are eager and willing to help see a problem, you know, and want to be part of the solution. We have, you know, our, our group of volunteers out there trapping, but our organization really relies on folks calling us saying, you know, there's cats in my backyard. And once they realize, you know, there's no magical place for them to be relocated to, we really, you know, provide as much education as possible and try to empower them to come in and get the traps from us, which are, you know, free with a deposit and get out there and help the cats themselves because we really need the community to step up and be active. But unless, you know, we have, you know, a lot more people on board, we we won't ever get ahead of the game. Hmm. Interesting. So, you know, just try to think about, I, I try to look very targeted at communities and I, I'm a big fan of the community cat pyramid and thinking about strategy and how to strategy work and trying to craft solutions that will make an impact in the, in the community. And it's sounding from from your perspective that there needs to be more of that, the grassroots advocates, the folks that are at our TNR certification workshops the first Saturday of the month, 70% of those folks have no relationship with any organization. They just want to help the cats in their backyard and they want to learn how to do it safely and effectively and, and that kind of thing. And so it is sounding from your perspective that that's one of the initial obstacles that you have going on, plus the fact that the breeding season, in your opinion, really never ends. So there's always another litter. There's never a rest period. And so you're 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 chronically having to deal with like, am I trapping that mom cat? Am I not trapping the mom cat because the kittens are out there? Or am I, I going to do it in 24 hours or 18 hours so I can return the mom's spade to go? So you're always doing that whole analysis where with me, in New England, I used to love it when we did clinics in February. A lot of people don't like it because it's cold and snowy, but you aren't dealing with these stresses on the on the female side of having to, you know, assess it. are they pregnant, are they in heat, you know, how complicated is this, how do I know the environment, that kind of thing. So um, there's an incredible amount of pressure there, which takes education, counseling, um, and so 
just trying to work through all that. The Feral Cat Coalition in San Diego, you provide TNR support, education assistance, but you're also a high volume spay neuter organization and you're busy kind of running the shop too. Am I understanding that Feral Cat Coalition, those are sort of the two programs that they offer? Yes, absolutely. And and we have been talking about starting monthly um, trap training to get, you know, more community. We, we get quite a bit of people that want to want to help, but they're just too afraid and they want to shadow with somebody else. And, you know, so we're we are in the process of trying to get some kind of monthly training going to try to get more people out there that are interested in helping. Right. And I certainly I'm so supportive of the in-person training events. Uh, you know, we provide a virtual option for the communities that either the organization just doesn't have the bandwidth to do it. Um, they use us as a vetting resource, basically, because if you've ever done volunteer coordination, you get really happy and excited when like one out of four potential volunteers really pans out and is really successful within the organization. And so you're like, wow, if I spend all that time training that person and then they don't end up volunteering with the organization, that's emotionally a letdown, I will say for myself. I've trained a lot of people and they've, you know, just wandered off into the sunset. And I was like, was it worth it spending that three hours with them one-on-one? So, you know, using the virtual option as a way to kind of, um, you know, pre-check a potential volunteer, you know, and a volunteer says, oh, I didn't realize they could make my car smell, or I didn't realize that they flip out in the trap and they get all agitated. I can't handle that, right? And that's fine. They can go do fundraising. They can go do something else. There's plenty of jobs out there for folks, but in the in-person training and the mentoring, I mean, you can't, you can't beat that. So, you know, hopefully there's a way for both of these, um, options to be available. I mean, my dream world is to have TNR become, you know, a commonplace term. I want folks to call us up and say, I have a cat that needs to be trapped, neutered, and returned. No other part of the conversation is out there. You know, I don't, you know, the I don't Absolutely. want the cat back, blah, blah, blah. I hear TNR is the way to go. That is the name of the game, right? Um, right. And, and I believe, you know, that's sort of where, where your organization lies. Can you tell me a little bit more about your high volume spay neuter clinic? You know, how many cats do you do in a year? Is it only for feral cats? Do you do owned cats also? Yeah. So we were founded in 1992. So we just celebrated our big 30th anniversary, which is pretty awesome. I I believe we're about 65,000 cats in, and that's mostly community cats. Um, It wasn't until about COVID that we started really saying, we need to start helping owned pets and rescues more because all of the veterinary clinics uh, and still to today are so completely overwhelmed. And for a good over a year, probably they had stopped spaying and neutering animals and we're only doing, you know, essentially essential life-saving surgeries. So we started up an owned pet program and we dedicated one day a week just for rescues alone. Rescue kittens were growing up in rescue care because they couldn't get spayed and neutered. And with everybody working from home, there was such a high demand for adoptions, but they couldn't adopt them out unaltered. So um, we went from um, in 2012, we opened our brick and mortar facility. We used to use borrowed veterinary clinics before that once a month. But in 20, 2012, we opened the brick and mortar Feral and Friends. And we went from about four or five clinics a month to about 15 to 18 clinics a month. Um, so, so we're open a few days a week. 
and, and we are helping a lot of owned pets and rescues, but we're still primarily, you know, feral cat driven. And we have constantly been, um, you know, putting pregnant cat calls ahead of the others because we are just bombarded with pregnant cat calls. And those are the cats we need to get in very urgently. So we always prioritize those. Um, yeah, it's, it's been, it's been a, busy couple of years since COVID, extra busy. And I'm sure it's taken a toll and impact on your organization too. Did you find that you had staff members leaving? Did you have to hire more technicians, more staff, more veterinarians? Have you experienced the the shortage issues in your own organization? In, in terms of that, we have had um, a shortage with hiring on new technicians with you know, bringing on these new programs, we have had to hire staff to help us. Um, and it's it has been harder to find employees, you know, technicians that want to work, whether they're experienced or not. Um, we are bringing on some folks that, you know, we're training just from little baby techs to, you know, they're pretty experienced now. It's pretty awesome to watch them grow. But yeah, it, it had been pretty difficult to find um, staff members to work. So as, as a clinic supervisor, obviously you play a probably significant role in that hiring and, and recruiting and finding staff. Do you have any tips for folks? Because I, I'll tell you, I get probably an email or a phone call a day from somebody who's trying to recruit for a position in their organization, regardless of whether it's a community cat program manager, a technician, a veterinarian, you know, looking for advice on how they can they just feel like they're fighting against the the larger corporate veterinarians and vet practices that can offer higher bonuses, higher pay, different types of benefits than many of our organizations can. Do you have any tips or tricks? You know, and that's something we've certainly struggled with as well. We don't have the, the phenomenal benefits that a lot of these corporate uh, businesses do, but we've been so fortunate to actually look within our volunteer groups because um, these are folks that know our mission. They're already dedicated enough to give us their time on their own for free. Um, so we've been really successful. I, a majority of our staff here were volunteers before they started, um, you know, and, and we try to give them as many perks as possible with free free care for their cats at home <laughs> or have we discounted. Um, but yeah, we've struggled as well with just trying to find um, staff members outside of our volunteer pool, um, there's just, you're not getting too many applicants. Yeah. And I, yeah. you know, I know even some of the other bigger organizations around here and the shelters, they're all struggling. And, you know, it used to be such a dream to work with the animals back in the day, but now it seems really difficult to hire those folks. Do you need expert help taming feral kittens for adoption? Watch the Taming Feral Kittens and Cats full-length workshop video now available for free on the Urban Cat League YouTube channel. Go to youtube.com and search Urban Cat League to see all of their videos to benefit community cats. Do you want to make things easier on yourself and the others in your organization? Our friends at Dubert have teamed up with the Dallas Pets Alive and Spay-Neuter Network teams, and together they have created the Companion Case Management Module. It allows you to be more proactive with all your organization's needs, create cases for your clients, and organize them by type. 
whether it is a rehoming situation, a pet parent needing food or medical assistance, or simply spay and neuter inquiries. CCM can help you manage all of them right from the Dubert system. Plus, a huge bonus, it allows you to connect with those clients right from the case so there is no need to open up new windows for emails or pull out your phone for text messages. Check it out and learn more at www.dubert.com to get started today. Ever wanted to quickly connect, collaborate, or problem solve with others in the animal welfare field who are, you know, real people? Look no further than Maddie's Pet Forum. Maddie's Pet Forum brings people of animal welfare together with the common goal to keep more people and pets together. We share ideas, expertise, offer each other support, resources, and more. Visit forum.maddiespetforum.org slash cats. Maddie's Pet Forum. Come for an answer. Stay for the community. I think everybody is very tired. Um, and I think that there's a lot of emotional healing going on or trying to go on. But I do wonder, I don't know really why we have such a dramatic drop off um, or we haven't felt a dramatic like returning to work. I mean, once there was a peel away, once we sort of many businesses scaled down their operations during COVID. So, you know, folks went went home and sort of discovered life and that kind of, that kind of life, home life. And then, um, but we haven't had this rush back. Or I thought too, that there might be a rush of like nurses who just got exhausted working in the hospitals and that they still wanted to help the community, but they didn't want to go back into that environment. And therefore they were going to switch and go to animals. I was hopeful that we would have this rush of, yeah, maybe they're not certified veterinary technicians, but yet they do have these medical skills so that they could be a veterinary assistant or something like that. But I haven't seen that rush either. So I, I think we have a very challenging, you know, five to seven years with regards to staffing our organizations and and just making sure that, I mean, again, it's access to care, access to spay neuter, really. Um, right. you, can't, you can't offer care without having spay neuter as part of that package. And I think the compassion fatigue struggle is very real. Um, we just sent our staff up north to go through um, euthanasia by injection training. And they also offer compassion fatigue, you know, classes and, and education. And I think that's so important to send your staff through that so they get to realize those signs um, before they become too much of a struggle. It's really important to invest in your staff's mental health as well. Right. And any of the volunteers, if you have active volunteers that are there on a, you know, multi-day basis, it, it looks like, you know, at one point you were a volunteer. I bet you've spent many hours there as a volunteer, not necessarily well, yeah. as a paid staff person. So I used to uh, used to say, you know, we had folks that weren't financially compensated, but they still played a staff role with us. And so that they should have the same types of support and, and benefits from that standpoint. I want to make sure we circle back and cover a topic that was important for you it, during our conversation today. We were talking about spaying pregnant cats and how you have a lot of cats that you you deal with and you prioritize getting those pregnant cats spayed. And I know it's a topic that can seem uh, somewhat controversial. There's certainly some parts of the country now where if you have a friendly cat, they're not going to spay the cat. They're going to put it in foster care and let the kittens be born. And again, that's in certain parts of the country when there's, which is a very different environment. And that's one thing, if I can get a message across is saying each environment is different. You know, 
returning a 12-week-old kitten in a TNR program in one community may not be the right choice in another community. We cannot black and white say all across the United States, we must do things this way for community cats. I feel very strongly that it's very much of a case-by-case basis situation. Um, And you name it with regards to pregnant feral cats, I've had it happen in my organization. We've had the, you know, the the, the pregnant ferals have the cats in a ceiling behind a, you know, a, a, a tub in a bathroom breaking through the walls. I mean, foster care with ferals and pregnant ferals is can be nasty, dangerous business and not what mom may want, right? But it's Absolutely. also, it's a hot, controversial topic and I'm not sure how your organization has handled it and I'd be interested to learn that. I completely agree with you. Some Some places, especially when there's winters and you don't have such a horrible crisis of kittens popping out every single day. Um, there's certainly room to make different decisions. Um, for us, we have we've had over 20 pregnant cats come in in one clinic. You know, it's just every single day. There's just so many pregnant cats, and you see the conditions of the kittens coming in and the mothers. The mothers are just emaciated and suffering with horrible upper respiratory you know, using all of their resources in their body to keep their sickly kittens alive and not taking care of themselves. It's just a horribly depressing thing to see every single day, you know, day in and day out. Um, the, the, the crisis here is just so much different with our warm weather. The cat's bodies are, you know, instinctually telling them they've got to breed constantly. So um, it's, it's been a struggle. A couple of years ago, if we would have posted on social media that we spayed a pregnant cat, we would have been ripped apart. But the more we're posting it and talking about it, people are starting to thank us for being honest and showing people what it's really like out here. Um, it's It's been disheartening sometimes to see other organizations kind of glamorizing pregnant cats and, you know, guess how many babies this cat's going to have. You know, it's, it's, you know, every rescue has their own ability to make their own decisions on, you know, how they're going to operate. But those those situations kind of make it a little tougher too. Well, and it, it does it to a certain degree. There are behavioral issues there. There's also resource oriented issues. Uh, you know, one of my aha moments around Spain pregnant cats was ironically this case that I had in the late '90s, uh, where I went to a bar in Seabrook, New Hampshire. Someone had said there's some kittens living in a dumpster. You know, whoa, big surprise. But for me, I was new. I was new to the world back in the 90s. And so I was like, okay, I'll check it out and see a few kittens. So, you know, in that dumpster was about 30 kittens. Um, all of them had some sort of runny, goopy eyes. And inevitably, after we trapped them all, they either had one or two of their eyes removed. There was not one kitten that didn't have to have an eye removed. And all the adults, there were about 50 or 60 adult cats off in the woods looking in at us and that we, you know, beer bottles were smashed all over the place behind this bar and all that stuff. And I was thinking to myself, wow, you know, if we had taken in all the pregnant cat calls that I had, because at that point in time in Massachusetts, cats were over, you know, were, were very, were, we had overpopulation of cats in Massachusetts at that point in time, lots of euthanasia happening and, and all that stuff. So I was like, wow. So if we took those pregnant cats in, then I wouldn't be able to help these dumpster kitties, right? And I, you know, I wouldn't be able to focus on on getting that colony under control. And also, you know, a pregnant cat takes up a foster home at minimum 10 weeks, 12 weeks, right? 
And, you know, I, I know there's systems in place now where you can like have them, you know, where they're young and vulnerable in one foster home and then you graduate them to another foster home. But that's moving people around, you know, cats around. It's like I, I call it playing the foster solitaire game. And then, you know, so that but that takes a lot of manpower or woman power and organization to be able to monitor and make sure that the, you know, the transition works okay and that kind of thing. So, you know, people are like, well, I understand that if your resources are limited, why you can't do this, you know, why you need to spay neuter the uh, or spay the pregnant cats. Because and I'm like, yeah, we are resource limited. We are always resource limited. And I will also say, you know, that that feral cat that's pregnant, you know, didn't really volunteer for the job of being a mom, right? And so, you know, the best thing we can do is do whatever we can in our power to get that mom back to where she's comfortable, back to and and then and set up an environment for her back at her home, you know. If it needs to be cleaned up, the environment, you know, try and improve her current living status. And that's the best thing that, that we could do. And then we help the most vulnerable kittens because what is it? 70% of kittens don't make it through the first year, something like that. So, you know, if I was distracted with those, those pregnant cats, those dumpster kitties were going to be the ones that were going to not make it, right? So it's, they're not great choices and lots of intense conversation around those issues, but Many times as an organization, we have to make those choices. And, and I, I respect an organization that comes out there and says, you know, this is all the only thing we do. This is our focus. All the power to you. If that's what you want to do, if you want to focus in one pocket, that's great. But we all respect each other for our decisions. So, right. And and there's a lot to be said, too, about just the medical side of, of how, you know, spay terminations work and you know i think sometimes if people knew that too that might help them kind of understand a little bit better mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah so you know it, tell me a little bit about the story of the jetty chats so growing up back in ocean beach um there's a jetty that separates um you know this area the boats go and i had seen a cat and i had lived in ocean beach my whole life i'd never heard about cats living over there um, and of course, my instincts were, oh, I have to go save that cat. So <laughs> ran back home, got in my car, drove around and saw another cat and then another cat and another cat. And I'm like, what in the world? And, and I had no knowledge about community cats back then. But I saw pregnant cats, very sick cats, kittens everywhere. Um, and that's when I reached out to Feral Cat Coalition just through, you know, Google. And and then they had let me know you know, that, that colony had 20 cats years ago and we, we got them all managed and cleaned up and the caretaker was supposed to be monitoring that. And, you know, over time there's different caretakers and ones who, you know, go out there and feed them, but they, you know, they don't look at the TNR side of it. So um, there ended up being over 80 cats there and we worked on the colony for a good year and got everybody spayed and neutered and um, we made them a little Facebook page and, and that blew up. Like people were following them from all over the world. It was so funny. Um, but now there's only about 15 to 20 cats left. And it's such an amazing example of how a managed colony of TNR cats work. You know, it's been been about nine or 10 years now. And to go from 80 cats to 20 cats, is it's pretty awesome. And the the 20 cats that are left there are, you know, chunky lazy cats who just like to sunbathe by the water all day long <laughs> and you have you have the the warm weather so it, it is pretty nice for cats so 
Because in Newburyport, when we started in 1992, we had 300 cats on the waterfront, which we then set aside 14 feeding stations we set up. Um, but the last cat um, passed away from that group in 2008. So, you know, you it, it's about a 10-year commitment to age out, I guess I would say, a, a colony that's managed. And it happens. It does happen. Right. And we've, we've been hearing from the city workers there, too, about how the rat population is starting to come back now that there's less cats there. And, and that was one of kind of our big arguments in the beginning for them to allow us to keep the cats there as long as we provided care for them. We were like, they're, you know, they're going to control the rat population over here. It's great because there's always rats where there's water. And it, it's a perfect example because there, there were just no rats for many years. And now they're kind of slowly starting to come back now that there's fewer cats. Yeah, I had the uh, the mayor of Newburyport called me up because she had seen an article about our barn relocation program, and she was very nervous. We were relocating cats from the waterfront to to barns, and she was like, "No, we need them for the rats. You know, we need them for the rats there." And I was like, "Don't worry, don't worry. The cats are staying. Don't worry, they're fine." Um, but and it is interesting because I mean, the, but now when I approach public health officials, like to say I'm, you know introducing a new program in a community. The first thing they say is do whatever you want with the cats, but what's going on with the rats? You know, you got to help me with the rats. The rats seem to be the hot topic um, for better or for worse. I mean, maybe folks are becoming more accepting of TNR and therefore it's not the, the topic that they want. They, they're they're happy to have any help is better than no help in, in many cases. But then with the rats, that's another territory. So in my in my next life, I will be a rat specialist, I guess. But it's uh, it's very, very interesting. So uh, Audrey, if folks are interested in finding out more about the Feral Cat Coalition or any of the, the work that you do, uh, how would they do that? Our website is feralcat.com. And they can go there to kind of check out, you know, what we're all about and our programs that we have. We're very um, active on social media, on Facebook and Instagram and even TikTok now. So we, we have a really awesome fall, group of followers that, you know, have been with us for many years. And it's, it's wonderful, you know, still communicating with them through social media, too. And is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today? You know, I think we covered pretty much everything. But, you know, I, I think it's important for people to um, just feel comfortable posting about controversial stuff. And you know, showing what life is really like out there for cats. Um, it's it's not always cute, cuddly kittens and puppies all day long. Sometimes it's good to show people, and you know, they they realize that they might be able to you know get out there and help themselves when they see that there's such a need for it. Excellent, excellent. Well, Audrey, I want to thank you so much for being a guest on the show, and I hope we'll have you on again in the future. Thanks so much. That's it for this week. Please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. We love to hear what you think, and a five-star review really helps others find the show. You can also join the conversation with listeners, cat caretakers, and me on Facebook and Instagram. And don't forget to hit follow or subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a single show. Thanks for listening, and thank you for everything that you do to help create a safe and healthy world for cats. Wow.